<laughs> Co-hosts that click pens will find something very unpleasant underneath food that I cook for them when they're done eating said food. I don't That's think I'm going to survive to get more food from you, so. <sighs> oh my god. <laughs> what is that enchanting garnish under this steak? <laughs> enchanting garnish. <laughs> that was my hip-hop name. Enchanting garnish. <laughs> uh, In the 90s, it was a tough time. That's, it, incidentally, I, it's also that, a nickname for Greg. I am an enchanting garnish. He's an enchanting garnish. This new hit single, Keep Your Dick Up. Exactly. I'm going to put an end to this right here, and you guys out there listening to Gibby 5 Podcast, uh, this is a side B episode, so I don't even know what the numbers are. We'll say 281 or something like that, where we talk about the golden child. podcast we can well we have it in here that's a bi-weekly podcast we're revisiting some notes that we haven't looked at in a while um, but it is a podcast that talks about pop culture and talks about things that you may have loved now like the dungeons and dragons movie or the mario movie uh, or stuff that you loved back in the day like the golden child my name is mel blackman or mel blackman maybe no, actually that can be. It says that says backman oh yes it does um, I'm blind. <laughs> I'm looking at this through my uh, little pop filter thing. But uh, my name is uh, Mel Backman, and I'm joined by Sardo Numspa. I'm probably mispronounced. Brother Numsi. <laughs> Chandler no, Yerl. I'll be, I'll be Chandler. I'll be, you mispronounced the J. It's Yerl. Yerl. It's Yerl. Uh, and sweet brother Numsi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, sweet brother Nipsey. Uh, now, you might be wondering why there's multiple voices, one of which doesn't sound anything like you're used to out there. Uh, that's because That's because uh, he, he's basically on life support at this point, but still podcasting for you fine people in Fiji. Uh, and, and then uh, we also have uh, Alec, our patron of Unusual Size. And this is one of his curated episodes, and he wanted us to talk about The Golden Child. And we wanted to talk about The Golden Child. We just needed that little push to do so. So, yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm here, Alec. Thank you, Rob. I just gave the screen a thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Right back at you. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, We usually talk about spoilers here. I'm going to save Rob's voice so he can complain about the movie or talk positively about the movie so uh we will spoil a movie this movie came out in 1986 so it doesn't matter no yes it's gonna be 37 this year i think we can spoil it i am going to uh change things up a little bit from what we did before i want to just talk a little bit about the movie like the the overall stuff about the movie before we get into why well actually you know what i do want to hear why first and then we'll talk about like budget and all that stuff and then we'll get into the ins and outs of the golden child why well the golden child is one of those uh important movies 
for me and my movie going experience. Um, I can remember being six and a half years old, living in Miami and basically manipulating my parents into allowing me to go with my older sister and her friend to the movies to see this, to see this movie. Um, and she was 11. So this is a different time period where, you know, they, your parents would drop you off to go see a PG 13 movie by yourself, an 11 year old with her six year old little brother. Uh, don't try that now parents. Um, but I hadn't been to a ton of movies at that point. I definitely had been to the movies, but nothing had truly registered. Maybe like the Karate Kid part two earlier that year. And I can just remember as soon as the credits came up and, uh, the opening scene, uh, as crazy as that was. And then seeing Eddie Murphy, and I don't know, it's Eddie Murphy is one of those uh, actors that has been a part of my life since I can remember, but this is really my introduction to him. And he was the biggest movie star on the planet at that point. And there was something about this movie flaws and all that I still love because of what it meant for me as a child to kind of see this crazy different movie you know it wasn't like anything i had seen before and eddie murphy was like no one i had seen before movie star wise and kind of i mean i've always been attached to eddie murphy since in that sense i i root for him i follow his career i see i don't see every movie there's been some i've skipped because i could tell they were going to suck but for the most part if it looks like he's trying i'm going to try it i'm going to i'm going to see it don't you dare talk poorly about the adventures of pluto nash <laughs> of course not or or meet dave or uh i don't oh, I know forgot about that one or <laughs> i will <laughs> so it, the main reason i think i've always been fascinated by this movie which has a weird place in pop culture i i think a lot of people from a, a certain age range that i'm a part of that i think you guys are a part of as well even though we're not all the same ages um if i said certain quotes from this movie, you know what I was talking about because Eddie Murphy was just that big that even though this movie doesn't have the same lasting, you know, power as a Beverly Hills cop or trading places or coming to America or even like the nutty professor, which came out a decade after this, there's, there's still something to it that I think is missing from a lot of movies today. You know, sometimes all you need to make a movie semi successful or semi entertaining is a movie star that's on his game, even if the, the movie's not meeting him all the way. And I think this is an example of that. And, but mainly, yeah, but being six years old and seeing a, a, a huge set piece in Tibet followed by some really bad eighties music uh, while Eddie Murphy cruises uh, or walks around LA. I don't know. There's just something about that, that they maybe had a huge <laughs> set piece in Tibet, but couldn't manage to get a picture of a fucking mountain. <laughs> did you notice that when they showed that picture of the mountain it looked like it, somebody was holding up a polaroid hey you gotta make the, the you gotta make the cuts like, what you the can. shit is that i'm sure they filmed it in like ontario or something for all we know but uh right but it was still disney's uh, animal kingdom <laughs> i don't think yeah. i don't think that existed yet but not to know uh, but, no for sure but it was um it was it's just something that has always meant something to me. As I showed you guys before we started uh, the, the filming or the recording, I have a poster that my sister got for me when I was 20 years old for Christmas because uh, I've always loved the movie. Um, and I just, I think it's one of those movies that it, nobody ever talks about it. So I figured, why not? I 
always liked Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy was always considered dangerous to our parents back then, I think. But yeah. at the same time, Eddie Murphy was also, oh, that guy from SNL to them, or Saturday Night Live at the time. It's funny, my, my mom had no use for him until The Nutty Professor. She just was not interested, probably too dirty for her. But my dad was the kind of the, the one holding the door open for us in that sense. He didn't. He didn't take me to see anything with Eddie Murphy till I was eight, but I, I, mean, I saw it coming to America when I was eight years old in the movies. Holy shit. Um, wow. And, uh, and uh, we watched Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Harlem Nights. You know, we, when I would go to his house, that's what we would, you know, a lot of times he would let us watch those movies. So I, and then we also had the best of Eddie Murphy Saturday Night Live, which came out, I think, around 89. Um, young Alec decided that he was going to get a... a nice professional job so that he can someday have people there to clean his, the Royal penis. I will say, uh, I, 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 that scene was very, uh, <laughs> memorable. Very confusing a, to six year old Alex. Eight years old for that. But yes, our eight year old. Yeah, I was like, Oh wow. Why, why is she doing that? <laughs> is that a real job? Is that a, <laughs> and, and, and then is Omar still trying to apply for it? No, he, he's, that's how I met him. He was my intern doing that. Okay. He didn't even get paid. I gave him some bath bombs. You know what? When you love your work, you're never working. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm totally titling that the episode. That <laughs> makes no sense, but it, it makes me happy. Okay, so let's. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, about this movie. We will probably touch on this. You probably. I might, if I'm stepping on any feet, I'm sorry. Uh, but this movie was originally a kind of a hardcore mystery movie. I don't know if you knew that. Really. Wait. Yes, it, yeah, was it was supposed be... to be a, a very dark, yeah, mi- mystical. like mystical uh, Raymond Chandler esque, yeah, uh, with Mel Gibson starring. Oh, that's what it happened. Yeah. I don't, and I Mel don't know Gibson... how close he ever got to the to the role, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was oh, interesting. The original script called "The Rose of Tibet," and uh, Mel Gibson backed out. Eddie Murphy wanted a more serious movie, which is a big deal here. He wanted to not be in a comedy sense, and film the movie very straight when test screenings came back which i understand this people were like well why wasn't eddie murphy being funny that's not what i paid to see yeah um so well they didn't they were test screenings but yes you are correct that's not what i would pay to see uh so what they ended up doing was they went back and reshot all of eddie murphy's parts which is why a lot of this movie seems like there's little like ad-libbed jokes he he practically wrote his scenes, uh, which you can tell because there's no way that some random writer is writing butt pie or the the, the or thing. I'm gonna hit yeah. him with the, I'm gonna hit him with an or. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Paddle yeah, like, his ass all the way back. Paddle, like, how do you script that? Ass. Yeah, yeah. I've taken script writing classes and like that. You can't script that and make no. it sound not weird. So, it, no, it was very clearly off the cuff. A lot of that stuff that he did, and it was it was great. But that, I guess that was another thing I wanted to to discuss about the movie was like, cause it's, like, he, he, if you ever see interviews, he'll, he's trashed this movie before uh, because I mean, I don't, cause the reception wasn't good. I mean, it was considered a semi disappointment. I think it made $79 million domestic, which was the eighth grossing high, high eighth grossest, eighth highest grossing movie released in 1986. But compared to Beverly Hills cop, which came out two years earlier and made $235 million. Whoa. Uh, you know, obviously it was considered not quite as big. Um, 
it made like 150 million dollars worldwide so the movie was golden child did just fine they made plenty of money like i said it's the eighth grossing highest eighth highest grossing movie so it did it did really well but i think when he's i if you're if you're eddie murphy and you're the biggest star in hollywood but you've never had a love interest and you've never had a chance to play a human being like you know Ashley foley's the smartest guy in the room you know and that's fun to play to a point but I'm sure he wanted to play somebody with, you know, who got to go through a few more things. And especially if you think about 80s actors, you know, they grew up idolizing movies that came before them when people were more complex and stories were more like noirish or of that nature. And Godfather, so I, Taxi Driver. Yeah, even like Chinatown or something like that. I mean, like this movie is like he he's playing a social worker slash private investigator. I'm not really oh, sure how he gets away. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even sure how he's getting paid while I'm watching the movie. Like, where's his money come from? Uh, not that he he has his own place, so he seemingly has money. But um, uh, so I think it was a, a chance for him to play a full-fledged human being who gets a chance to have a love interest. And of course, as a result, they cut the love scene out of the movie because they can't show a black man having sex. Um, and that was the type of stuff that he had to deal with. They quite can a bit. at my house. <laughs> In fact, they do. <laughs> Uh, not for the first time. <laughs> uh, so real quick, they um, you mentioned uh, Beverly Hills Cop. So uh, basically what they did was they took this movie. They did all those like reshoots. They did change a soundtrack. And uh, Omar, you will get to, to uh, drop this later but um, or talk about this later. Uh, they changed the soundtrack from a regular movie soundtrack to the synth pop one that we ended up with uh, to make it a little bit lighter. And in it ended up becoming like a supernatural, mystical Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, a as you were saying, so real quick on the box office stuff before we get into the the ins and outs, uh, it did make uh, seventy nine point eight million dollars. Uh, the budget, anyone care to guess? Without looking at the notes, I already know, so I don't. Hundred and fifty. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, how much? How much? Hundred and fifty. No, twenty five million dollars. Oh. Which was expensive for the eighties. But that's also why it looks like someone's holding up a picture of mountains. True, true. Because most uh, of that money probably went to Eddie Murphy. Well, if you think Correct. if you think about what twenty five million dollars bought you that day, the, the, you want to know what the real problem is? If they were going to do a serious film and they were going to try to do a full flesh story, the script needed to be better. But also, they hired Michael Ritchie, who directed Fletch, a good movie, mind you. But why would you hire the director of Fletch and the Bad News Bears to do a mystical, noirish kind of movie? Is that, that does, it's not a good fit to begin with. He yeah. certainly is. Also, good anyone with the name Richie is a terrible person. <laughs> well, but the 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 real question though is is we don't really know what the product was before they put in all the comedy. I would love it, to see that. Yeah, I, I would too. Since it since it didn't test well, I mean, we may never know. You know what the actual product was. We we just ended up with this comedic version I'm, of it. Guessing it's a mess because I don't think Eddie was quite. You have to remember he's not even. He's like twenty five, twenty six in this. He's like twenty five around this time. The, the kind of depth that you would need for a character like that, it would be more appropriate for like Sidney Poitier to play in that point, or Richard Pryor, or, or even Denzel Washington, who would be younger but still probably have more range. Eddie Murphy has range. He's actually a very good actor, but when he's trying to get serious in this movie, it doesn't quite work now part of that is he's not really given a true yeah, I would, character i would argue that eddie murphy has more range than denzel 
That's right. I forgot you don't like Denzel. Um, it's not that I don't like, I mean, I just think he plays the same character in every movie. Uh, well, let me put it like this. Eddie Murphy has more range in the sense that he can do comedy and Denzel can't. So I, I don't disagree. And Eddie could do drama. I've seen him. And it's 1986. It's technically but, 1985. I mean, in 1986, it might have been different. But, but that's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. 1986, yeah. I don't think Currently, had... I would say that he's got more range than Denzel. I'm going to argue with you there. I, I mean, 1985, 86, he was still, he was from 82 to 88, he's playing, and this is not a criticism because I love Eddie Murphy, but he's playing Eddie Murphy versions of himself in every movie because that was what movie stars do and what they did and what they still do. Um, but John Wayne. Yeah. See like to see always just alone. Which is why it wouldn't have worked anyway. If you put it golden child and it's just a serious movie, like even if Mel Gibson was doing it, they're going to, they're at the time, this is before Leave the weapon. So they're looking for probably the Mad Max, you know, quiet stoic Mel Gibson performance. Eddie Murphy. That's not why you're hiring him. Correct. You know, like I don't want to like, I think it's a cool thing to try, maybe. And that's the whole point of being a movie star. You get to try shit occasionally. <laughs> but that would never would have gotten anybody. I mean, it would have gotten people their opening weekend. And that would be about it. Because then they leave going, what the fuck did I just pay for? That's not word of we... mouth would have sunk it. Yes. Yeah. Cause, and I still don't think that's a director you go to. You can go look at his filmography. He's just not the director for that kind of movie. You know, uh, if you're going for that. But it was the 80s, and they tried all sorts of weird shit. And I, I, even though I know I didn't do a top five at the end of the episode, I'll give you some examples of actors that did this type of stuff, and mostly actors in that in that time frame when you could you could take a chance here or there. It didn't really matter because your next movie was going to be huge if if you if you played it more safe. Yeah, he did what the Golden Child, Fletch, Cool Runnings. He did that. Well, he wrote Cool Runnings. He didn't direct it. No, he didn't. Or maybe it. he did direct it. I don't know. No, I, 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 I Turtle Top directed Cool Runnings. John yeah. Turtle Top. Wow impressive uh yeah. his last movie was the fantastics which he directed in 2000 he actually stopped after that due to a case of being dead yes i was gonna say he's been dead for a bit so it wasn't like he people were like wow you're not really that great you're just you're just no, not listen, along, alive anymore he directed just being oh, a director he directed dickstown rob oh, oh, i yes. like dickstown so and dickstown that's my it's an excellent movie dickstown is very underrated dickstown is very underrated and that's the thing he's good in his right type of film the comedy scenes in this movie work uh fletch obviously people love fletch i think uh bad news bears is a classic and dickstown yes is extremely underrated i keep forgetting that movie exists because they don't you know I'm, I'm not a kid it's not on cable all the time anymore so dickstown is is one of the few movies i know of that the entire movie is worth watching just for the payoff at the end the five-minute payoff at the end makes the entire movie worth watching. I've never seen that movie. You should. What I feel about uh, Shallow Grave as well, which none of you guys I don't think have seen. I need to see that. I have not seen yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's so good. And there's a redhead. Oh. Uh, okay. So, uh, where should we go from here? So we've I did a little bit of that. We'll talk about the history. Did you do the cast and, already? Uh, we've not done that. Oh, yeah, and the synopsis. So the synopsis... We're doing things a little out of order here. Uh, synopsis, a private detective specializing in missing children is charged with the task of finding a special child whom dark forces want to eliminate. Uh, and as I would like to say, it's the only movie ever made in which Eddie Murphy tries to stab a demon in the heart, or does stab a demon so hard in the heart that it actually explodes. Stab. 
which really should have just been the advertising right there. Like I would give <laughs> back then I would have given them my three dollars and fifty cents for that. I have to say the stabbing scene is is not that great. It's not well, but, but there's no, no, no the the scene itself. I was going to say, but there's a lot of like eighties eighties icons in this movie. There is, there are. I mean, you've so got, does anyone want to take the uh, the starring? You've side got of things. JL Reate, which actually I didn't know that the Golden Child was a girl. Well, in the movie they make her a boy, which I'm like, they just make her a girl. What's the difference? I think that movie's not allowed to be shown in theaters anymore. In well, I I don't think that they <laughs> they they never actually call the Golden Child a boy or a girl. We just all assume that they the say Golden he. Child is a boy. They say he. They oh, do that. I believe they do. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. They oh, definitely do. Um, I I would have missed it. I read the thing about the fact that it, that the the actress was an actress, and then I was like, "Oh, did they ever mention it?" And then I heard, "E." Okay. And if you look it up in the 2019, they actually have a picture together. It's really cute to see. Yeah, I did see that. Uh, but it does star Eddie Murphy. It's got Charles Dance in it, who plays the villain. Uh, Charlotte Lewis, Victor Wong. Um, you might know him as uh, Egg Shen from Big Trouble in Little China. Or the grandfather and three ninjas. Yep. Um, <laughs> Randall Tex Cobb, actually. Mm -hmm. Digstown. And Ace Ventura. Yep. Uh, James Hong. I love uh, James Hong. He's still alive. Yeah. Don't. Uh. Jack T. Chen. <laughs> Shit. Tao, Tao Lugo. Tiger Chun, Chung Lee. I. I. I loved the cast of this movie. At the time of this recording, uh, Jim, Jim Brown, football player, um, another local James. figure, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, passed away. So that's the first of you know that always comes in threes. And then now we have Alec being all like, "James Hong still alive." <laughs> damn it! Damn it! I didn't think about that. After Not I said, for long. I'm sorry, Mr. Hong. Please forgive me. <laughs> yeah. Not much longer. <laughs> awesome Thai, awesome Thai restaurant in uh, uh, on Cimarron Royal, Royal Thai, Thai, which uh, apparently he used to frequent at some point because oh, there's that's cool. there's a bunch of pictures of him on the wall, like sitting there and stuff. Imagine eating with low pan. Yes. Now you you mentioned um, like in the eighties, uh, you know, something that you don't see a lot anymore with actors stepping out of their comfort zones. One of the other things the movie started off with that I'm like, damn, I don't, I don't really see that much anymore at all. The entire like first sequence was just all silent posturing. There was like, there were like no lines spoken. The villain walks in, stands there and stares at the good guy. The good guy sits there and stares at the villain. The villain walks up closer and stares at the good guy. You know, it's 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 like that silent exchange. You just don't see a whole lot of that in movies anymore. And it went on for probably what, like five minutes, ten minutes. Five minutes was a long sequence. I think it's five minutes. And there is one line when he tells uh, somebody not to touch him. But yeah. other than that, it is. A, I think. I mean, I'm going to say it, I think it's an amazing opening scene. Uh, as a kid, especially when you're haven't seen many movies, and the first thing you see is this loud, kind of dangerous score. And Charles Dance is scary. Like I know that most people will remember him for Game of Thrones, but he's going to forever be Mister Tywin yeah. Lannister. Yeah, yep. For me, he's always going to be Sardom Noomspa or Brother Noomsy. He has. He does have that. It's his face. It's the sternness of his 
demeanor. He's good. He's great he's, in he's this a, movie. He's actually excellent. He's, he's, you know, usually like the villains in these type of movies are kind of maybe Euro trash. Some of them successful, some of them not as successful. But <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> but they nailed it with Charles Dance. I mean, and, and whenever he's the villain, he fucking because this is I've seen obviously Game of Thrones, but last action hero he's the villain too. Uh, he kills it, man. I I think. Uh, there's some some actors just have it, and he he's got it. And I don't know that the way he wears the jacket kind of weird and works. And uh, but yeah, they have the the stare down. And I I mean, think about it. You're watching this movie in the first few minutes. You're going to see an Eddie Murphy movie in the first few minutes. A bunch of monks get killed, and a kid gets kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, this movie is not so funny. Thanks for thanks for that. <laughs> but hey, but don't fret because then. It's all about the 80s and a loud rock song about being the best man in the world. Oh, yeah. That sounded like, um, what's her name from Heart? I got to look that up. Nancy and Wilson. Voice, Nancy vocals. Wilson. It sounds like Nancy Wilson, yeah. So it sounds speaking, that's like crazy. Huh? Speaking huh? of music, at, huh, at, huh, nice. at one point in this movie, he walks in on some bikers who were all just laughing hysterically while watching a music video. And I'm like, what the fuck are they laughing at? Yes. Is that, I don't, underst- I don't understand what's happening. What are they laughing at? Maybe it's all the, uh, the, uh, the fried rice that they got for, the, for trading the girl. Maybe. Well, it's funny, too, that they're the Golden Dragons or something like that. Uh-huh. And, of course, what, what is the Golden Dragons but a a biker gang of white dudes from LA. Like why, <laughs> why yeah. are you the golden dragons? True. I don't understand your name. You are neither gold nor anything related, remotely related no. to dragons. No. And they're watching a rat video. Body. Laugh. Oh, is that the video? I that hear was... your body. Video? Uh-huh. Yeah. It was rat. Yep. That was rat. Is that, I think that might, act, that might be the video. No, it wasn't body attack. It was the other one. The one that actually started off with uh, Milton Berle in it. In, the only thing that I remember oh God, about Rat that. now is the commercial where they say, "Oh, we love the place, but we've got a rat problem." Yeah, it's interesting because, <laughs> like, Rat. <laughs> no one really has thought about Rat since like what 1992, maybe. Right. Like the Just last time of- anyone cared about Rat was like during the when they were like the theme song to Point Break. Yeah, and then that commercial other- came out, and then everyone was like, <laughs> uh, like briefly, Rat made it back into the charts, and like was that was that Rat the theme song? Yeah, like the Rat problem. Oh, for uh, nobody rides for, for free is rat. Yeah, the song nobody oh rides for free. I don't remember that. I know that song. I just don't remember that being in Point Break. Yes. I remember the end of Point Break. I remember if Six Was Nine by Jimi Hendrix was in Point the, Break. It's at the end of Point Break after he tosses his badge into the ocean. Oh, got it. Okay, it's actually a really good song. Oddly enough, yeah, it's what's in, but it's funny because like you never really hear about Rat, and like this week, Rat, like Steve, no, the guitarist. Or Stephen Pierce is the lead singer. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But yeah. they were they were in the news this week because they were talking about like why isn't Rat in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is probably right. They did have enough of an impact. It's true. Let me consult some of my posters from 1989, and I'll let you know the guy's yeah, right. name. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the problem was their vocalist was like the weakest member of the band because everyone else knew what they were doing. But that's... they were a kick-ass band. Yeah. So anyway, I, I moving know. on. Body talk would beg to differ, buddy. <laughs> true sorry when i say kick-ass band they played together well i think he's referring to me as not saying that the singer was good right yeah Yeah. oh oh 
Oh, I misunderstood. Perfect 80s sound right there, I'm telling you. As oh, Alex slowly moves the camera away from his rat forever tattoo on his upper arm. <laughs> <laughs> Next to the anchor that says mom or yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's, on, <laughs> that's on the other side, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, I almost spit my wine out. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Oh, that's funny. So, um, yeah, uh, since we're talking about the biker scene, I really have to talk about what else happens in that scene. <laughs> So, so there's a lot. Yeah. So of course there's this biker thing and Eddie Murphy kind of gets basically captured by, you know, one of those like old school Western sequences with like everyone holding guns at them and stuff. And wait a second. Was that? Yeah. He goes in there and he gets, no, he just gets tackled. He gets tackled, he gets tackled. From, yeah, from behind and then he gets tied up with the belt and <laughs> yeah. And Charlotte Lewis, the female lead of the movie, uh, Nick Hang is the, the character's name. Uh, ends up doing some awesome fighting and at one point does, pulls a Jurassic Park, jumps up, grabs a, a pipe or something, and kicks a dude into a wall, which leads to her getting her uh, white shirt sprayed with water. He he breaks a water pipe in the wall that basically hoses her white shirt down. So we are, for the next 10 minutes of the movie, we are greeted with um, this lovely uh, you know 18-year-old actress in a wet t-shirt, or really wet button down shirt but still my, my the comment that i wrote in my notes was wet t-shirt rescue i mean that's hot as fuck but that's totally 80s that's yeah exactly yeah exactly like, right and it's funny that water broke the water line directly at her yeah yes <laughs> just <laughs> there was no mistaking the the guy went through the wall and he saw the he saw the pipe ripped it off and kind of like was like wait 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 a minute aimed it at her got her soaked and then fell down Oh, the 80s. My, my notes in order. Uh, when Eddie, Eddie Murphy invades the hideout with the bikers, he really has no reason to be there. He's basically the bad guy here because he, like, bursts in and does so much stuff well, uh, and, and pulls he, a gun uh, on him. Like, we know that they're bad guys, but he's no, not a cop. No, no. He's he's hunting down the, the – well, he's they he's hunting down the, the – uh, The missing teenager. The missing teenager, right. Um. So I mean, he's he does have a reason to be there. He's trying to get information. You're right; he's not a cop but legally. I mean, these, well, he, these guys actually, aren't good dudes. He's following up on the investigation. I don't think he's hunting down her at that point. He's trying no, he's to not. get he's trying to get information about where she went or where where what they right. did with her because obviously now he's chasing the kid, the golden right. child. But yeah, I mean, but I he's did, still finding out information about where she went and how she got killed. I felt bad for the family's barbecue. I, that I was, was say the same I thing. just want some chips. Which is a great line, by the way. And then, and then he's pointing, it's burning. Flip it over, it's burning. And he's pointing the that gun. That was good. <laughs> that was a great scene. How did he not see them when he went to jump over the wall? I mean, he was he was taller than the wall. He was looking over the wall, <laughs> and there was nothing obscuring his vision. And he just hopped over the wall and was like, oh, there's people here. Yeah, dipshit, they were right in front of you the whole fucking time. <laughs> What do you mean? How are there people? Smell was. People in movies don't have uh, peripheral vision or vision past like ten yards. <laughs> well, they don't you have vision past what the camera can see. That's why you could be walking down the street and there's somebody just standing there in front of you, and you're like, "Oh, oh, I didn't see you because the camera hadn't panned there yet." Yeah, <laughs> it, it, no horror movies work either because like everyone would know like the scream guy is right, right around there. the corner. Uh, anyway, so continuing my notes here, I also did uh, inappropriate wet t-shirt moment. That's when I realized she was only 18. And then, um, very appropriate. And, 
And then at the end of that, um, the girl like beats up everybody, and then Eddie Murphy's like, "This is a man thing. Stay in the car." But very clearly played for humor, which I kind of. But I very much appreciated that callback to the eighties as well. And can that. we can we also acknowledge that the next fight scene she was in, they made her do in her underwear? Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, at the house, yes, yeah. What's the, those medicines that they were taught, like, that he was, like, in pain? He's like, do they want to have any mercurochrome? It's like, could they not just say Tylenol? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Probably not. That's a good point. Product placement. Mercurochrome. Yeah. Well, it's well, for a like burn. Tech. But so maybe, it's, maybe that was their version of whatever you put on burns. I don't know. But after that, I had I had it here that they went back to his place and they slept together. And the sex was so good, he fucking went to Tibet. <laughs> I was <Yes>. like Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like, man, he, that must, I mean, to, to go to that is magic pussy. <laughs> I'm gonna fly across the world, literally. <laughs> she yeah. wanted him to go. He's like, no, let's not go. And then she's like, fine, I'm going. And he's like, God damn it! All right, I'll go. <laughs> fine, okay. That's kind of I'm impressive. In. And then the little jump into the bed, which was kind of adorable. That was actually the point that I was watching it upstairs. And then I went downstairs to go to bed and watch the rest of it, and I got to see that scene multiple times because of the way my direct TV thing worked. <laughs> By the way, this is on Cinemax if anyone needs it to like for free, or you can just go to Alex's house because I'm guessing he owns it. I do own it. There we go. <laughs> VHS and I had DVD. The, I don't know if I have the VHS anymore. I definitely did. I, I had. You might v- have it on Laserdisc. <laughs> I think I have it in that Big Eddie Murphy pack that I own, but probably apparently I don't have any DVD players hooked up. To yeah, any Paramount. televisions that I can get to. It, I'm sure Paramount put out a collection. This would be in it. Yeah. I would hope so. So did did anybody else really appreciate once they got to Tibet, uh, the old the old monk antagonizing Eddie Murphy? Yes. You're awesome. You're breaking my heart, ass wipe. <laughs> that might actually be my favorite sequence. Just anything with those two playing off of each other. Yes. Yeah, he's like, you're just gonna pick your nose. They just uh, wipe it there on your jacket. Just wipe, just r- r- wipe, wipe it right that booger off before it freezes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. This water's not so pure. Neither are you. Fucking. <laughs> it's it's a uh, uh, you know Victor Wong is uh, bat- batting a thousand. Uh, it was just like in Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, he was so good in that too. So, yeah, so this movie is crazy, and I know it's probably in Rob's notes too. But so this was filmed the same year as Big Trouble in Little China. And actually, Big Trouble in Little China came out first because they wanted to come out before this because they didn't want, you know, to be taken over by the Eddie Murphy wave. John Carpenter was actually at one point, I don't know if he, how close he was to directing the movie, but he was definitely in running for directing this movie. And oddly enough, he's doing another movie with Asian Mystique, with Victor Wong, James Hong. And then the guy who played Tommy Tong is one of the... One of the bad guys in Big Trouble in Little China, the the Raiden looking guy. I, I don't, yep. you know, mm-hmm. so it's it's crazy the the similarities that these movies have. Uh, Big Trouble because in they China. only had like a handful of Asian actors. This is also yeah, right. true. This is also <laughs> true. true. But it's just funny they come out within five six months of each other. Now I think Big Trouble in Little China is a much better movie than than this. But oh uh, yeah, I agree. But I do think that it's interesting to see that and to see how different that James Hong. Much smaller role here, but very much professional. Great in every scene he's in. And then Victor Wong just gets to cook in both movies. I mean, 
he's hysterical in his uh in his little time in the, on screen in this movie and i wish you, you almost wish you could get him for a little bit more i but, will say that that in my notes i i did mention that I, I was like honestly the layout for this story really isn't that bad no i think the execution is and you know it's a it's a 90 minute movie so which i feel like this probably should have been closer to two hours if it was going for something more coherent as opposed to she doesn't want to come up with him. Okay, now she's going to come up with him. Now they love each other. We have no true reason to see why either one of them would love the other one at this point, except for the fact that, like Rob said, maybe the you know magic sex. Um, and then uh, you know the uh, the rest of it is okay. I have this knife. Don't really know why I need this knife. Like he's going to take the knife if I ha- if I have it. Okay, the, she's dead, but I can get her back. You know, it's all this stuff is crazy and not developed, which leads to the ending, which is just like out of comes out of nowhere too and i wonder what it was supposed to look like i guess i want to see the script mm-hmm. the original you guys script. said so much that I, I i was frantically taking notes here uh, another george miller was also attached to this movie that makes that. sense because the mel gibson uh, uh, yeah you know and that, and that would have been that probably would have been a really great movie had whatever they were trying to do there it would have he been did, better he did mad max i think he did babe too which is weird but yeah his filmography and he did happy feet yeah. But really, yeah, yeah. But and then he did like the Renzo's oil, which you know I don't know. We'll go look that totally up. Totally different. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, so he was supposed to do it, but then he said no only because Eddie Murphy kept them waiting for four hours in a meeting. Uh, uh, well. So that was one thing. Uh, Tommy Tong, uh, when he gets killed, he get by uh, by uh, Charles Dance. Charles Dance Noomspa. Uh, he they actually use one of those crazy like hooked swords that you get when you buy. And this is really I'm just saying this for Rob. So anyone listening that doesn't like G.I. Joe, deal with it. Uh, that comes with uh, some Storm Shadow action figures. Uh-huh. And I was like, ooh, I've never actually seen one of those in a movie. So I was very excited about that. I have. I think that – didn't they have them in Big Trouble in Little China? Uh, maybe. Yeah, they might have. I believe so. So there's that. Uh, and then the whole – I guess now might be the whole time to really talk about China mysticism back then. Like I don't think Hollywood knew what to do with Asia and like – because China was closed off at this point. Well, actually, China had just been opened up at this point, right? Like Nixon, I think. Omar, this is where your history knowledge is. Nixon opened up China in like the 70s, right? It was in the 70s, yeah. Yeah. And before then, China had tournament. shut down basically for all outsiders because of what Japan did to them in World War II. But China had a history of that. China shut down, you know, mm-hmm. a thousand years ago. And of course, it's Tibet, but that's – any of that area, like Hollywood didn't know what to do. So if you look at any sort of uh, pop culture from the 70s and 80s, you end up with stereotypes, which I guess people are – and I'm not having a conversation about offensiveness, but like – which we turned turned out to be offensive now. But like if you look back at it, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's it's a different culture. People will apply this idea of mystical, magical things, and then you end up with movies like The Gremlins – which I don't find that to be offensive towards Asian stuff or the villain, the Mandarin and Iron Man, which it started off pretty offensive. The whole Fu Manchu thing. Right. But the character became more powerful and a, in the comics throughout the years. But the problem is that then all of a sudden you switch to movies and it's like, well, you don't have this 30 years of this character growing and not being a stereotype to do. But I just, I always find that, that type of stuff interesting where like every time you saw something Asian on screen for the most part in uh, the eighties movies, 
there's always something attached to it with magic or mysticism or, or ancient Chinese arts. secret. Right. The ancient secrets of the Orient. Yes. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. And it is also true that in the 80s, China was very closed off. I mean, China was in the, you know, the heyday of its communism. Um, I remember back in those days when I would go to Romania, the products that we could buy, like batteries and things like that, you could only buy them from China. Like they, the, those countries only traded with each other. Um, so they were so closed off to the West that it kind of makes sense. It's a, it's a far cry from what's his name? The wrestler, uh, uh, John Cena apologizing in Mandarin because of something that he said or something in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like back then something like, like that, an event like that would have been unthinkable. Mm-hmm. It just, it wouldn't even have made sense. True. Um, it still anyway. doesn't, to be honest. <laughs> Well, the whole thing was weird, but that, but my point is that, that would have never happened then. Like uh, American Americans wouldn't have cared, but we also didn't have 1.3 billion possible ticket sales mm-hmm. back then. <clears throat> yeah, we also so, care. That's fair, but yeah, that's no, just the reality of it. You're right. It's just the, if we want these movies to get made, then there's a type, uh, I don't know. I make um, no money from it. I just like seeing the movies. Well, no, the the movies would still turn a profit. They would still get made. They just wouldn't make as much of a profit. Mm-hmm. Correct. But and talk to course, a shareholder or well, or yeah, the yeah. filmmaker or the producer and say, yeah, don't worry about the 1.3 billion other people that will, will pay 20 bucks a ticket. No, I get that. They want it, but they well, should I, issue the apology. Well, actually, I'm, fair enough. The filmmaker and the producer, or the, the filmmaker doesn't care. I mean, how many movies have we seen in the past five to six years where they've had to incorporate some aspect of an or something? I'm glad for inclusion, but as far as when they just shoehorn some type of Asian character or set it in China for ten minutes so that they can promote it there and get the audience, as opposed to correct, you know, something where they're actually trying to make something involving people. It's 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 transparent, you know, when it happens like that. So. Uh, and I, and I do say like, okay, I'm okay if fast X doesn't get made, which is, I mean, they're making that cause it's going to do well in China and overseas in general. It's not going to do that great here. Um, you know, a lot of these movies are actually lost. China's box office has been harder to get than it used to. Uh, a lot of movies that were, some movies can't even get in there right now. And the ones that do are outside of, I think guardians is actually doing pretty well there, but for the most part, a lot of movies are underperforming. There anyway. Definitely the Star Wars movies underperform over there. Absolutely. So, you know, do I think it's important to get to all audiences? Yes, but not cynically, you know? Agreed. I think the big deal is, I mean, this is way off topic, but you never, because it's one person in control <laughs> of China and what can be shown there, you never know, like, what's going to piss them off on that given day. So, like, they, they'll make a movie, they'll completely ruin the director and writer's original vision by adding some other element in there, and then because someone was eating a meal that they that the head of China doesn't like all of a sudden they're not allowed to open it up there. It's like, he really? ate fish on a Tuesday. Yeah. That's, it's like on the right. and well and, and to be clear, you know, the, the comment that kind of got this off the ground it seems like was the the thing about like John, John Cena apologizing in, in Mandarin. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that 
Are you apologizing to us for talking about John Cena? I don't know, apologizing. I don't apologize <laughs> I don't have a problem with him apologizing if he if he was sorry about it. Anyway, it's just more the fact that what I'm talking about is when we have these movies where it's like, hey, look, we're trying to appeal to everybody. Here's here's an Asian person for five minutes has nothing to do with the story, but now we can right. go to China. Uh, you know, the same reason I don't like world building in most Marvel movies is it has nothing to do with the story you're trying to tell me. You're just trying to make more money. I see through it, and the, the movies suffer for it. But the Golden Child didn't have that problem. <laughs> it had the no. It just had the hey, this is what, what other Chinese movies are, are part like. of the Golden Child universe, <laughs> the Golden Child well, yeah. cinematic what, universe. What's kind of amusing <laughs> is that what they taught John Cena to say in Mandarin actually translates to my dick wear my dick wears Chinese made wigs. <laughs> oh, that's is interesting. That really true? That's what the tattoo I have in Chinese on my back says. <laughs> so. <laughs> I need to get a tattoo. Anyway, <clears throat> that, so that's um, what I'm reading when I'm standing behind him for a few minutes. If you know what I mean. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, I was uh, after that weekend. I was fluting Mandarin. It's weird. <laughs> you were Mandarin um, by injection. Oh. <laughs> I need to start a new podcast with That's people so that aren't you. <laughs> I love the, um, to get back to the movie, uh, something that was brought up earlier. I love the scene when they're flying back from Tibet <laughs> and he's like jamming with his like headphones on. Oh yeah. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> they would protest well, apparently, that in China. They would be banned. Oh, it would offend oh, well, people now. Yes. Well, I was watching it on Amazon Prime, and you know how Amazon does that like X-ray thing where it tells you behind the scenes stuff. So, and I actually listened for this, and it and it and it works when he's sort of saying gibberish, uh, like he's jamming out to the music. I think it's the third thing he says is Eddie Murphy is cool. Yeah, I sound like he said that. And if you listen, it really does. It he actually does say that, but he just says it like he distorts the words enough to where it doesn't sound like it. But he really does say Eddie Murphy is cool, which is like I thought that was really, I thought that was a funny thing, and that that tells me how much, you know, the changing of the script and the adding in the the comedy bits that are clearly not scripted that totally tracks. Like that scene proves that that is that that's correct because it's he it's such a funny ridiculous thing to say um i you know i think that like from what we were talking about earlier one of the reasons that people were going to eddie Mur- murphy movies for the longest time was because he was playing a version of his snl whatever like self that's what made it so good it was so much fun the, I, when i was 6 one of the first movies that i ever saw was 48 hours i was six years old classic in 80 in 82 i shouldn't have been in that movie theater watching that movie but that was the 80s my parents didn't give a shit i don't know um, how old i was but my dad took me and my brother to see death stalker in the theater <laughs> nice <laughs> nice yeah, sounds like all our fathers were great yeah <laughs> to me my dad didn't like the movie so i didn't he didn't take me to see anything except for the karate kid well, your dad was well. That, that, that was at least a good movie. That was a good movie. Uh, I saw Karate Kid. Kid. I think I like. I saw Karate Kid with my dad. I saw. Uh, uh, he does Dallas. No, I saw Ghostbusters with my dad, yeah, and he, I saw Blair Witch Project with my dad. And I don't think he. Oh, and I randomly saw Pitch Black. Was that the one with the 
with Vin Diesel with the weird Vin Diesel. All yeah, bangers. Those are, those are the three movies I ever saw with my dad. <laughs> those like, are awesome. Movie. Yeah, those are good. So those are all great movies. He st- he basically stopped liking movies after seeing the Blair Witch because he was in the Rob camp of things. Mm. Oh, I can't blame him. Yeah. But what the but, you, <laughs> but you think about um like what Omar was saying. Think about the uh, in between the airplane scene, you have two great airport scenes. And they're hysterical. And it's really just Eddie Murphy doing the Axel Foley. I'm going to pretend I'm somebody different. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to get my way out of this. I'm going to talk my way out of a situation first. by, And it's hysterical because he knocks the guy over. who He puts a knife in the guy uh, in the guy's pocket so that he can go through the detector, push him down. And he, it's crazy because my name is – and he actually has to look at his badge. Even though he doesn't give himself a fake name, you know, it's Chandler Gerald. But he still has to do it because he doesn't know what he – like. I don't know, I just love that. And then he's like, you make me Viva sick. Nepal. Viva Nepal. That, and you make me sick, Freddie. Uh, and then, and then. <laughs> when he says I'm from the department of like lost artifacts. Yes. He says it different every time. And then when he's it's like, never, yeah. he, he's shaking the hands of the different soldiers. And he's like, and you, you don't even know what you did, but you know. <laughs> but you did a great job. It's so great. But then the, the other airport scene when <laughs> I should be punished. I should be <laughs> my brother Noopsy. It's it's such a <laughs> such a great scene. So how how often is red tape used as a defense and have it actually work? Because the guy wanted to have him arrested, but Eddie Murphy told him like when he was going to have him arrested, he's like, "You don't know how evidence works in this country. If you have me arrested." That item that you're trying to get will be locked up as evidence and it'll sit there for like four months or something while I wait for a trial and blah, 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 blah. And the guy basically just kind of walks off and he doesn't want any uh, charges filed or anything like that. But that's that's the whole problem with the movie is Charles Dance is playing either he's playing the devil or very close to the devil. He's playing a a servant. He's playing a demon. He could easily get into the evidence room and take the knife later. And actually, that's exactly what I was thinking. But he also could easily just do what he did in the movie, which is I'm just going to come back later and get what I want and kill her, kill your kill your girlfriend. So it it it's the whole movie's kind of pointless in that sense. So the set pieces kind of have to distract you from that. So at least they do for the most part. That that and we didn't mention this one scene, so I have to go back to it. The I want the knife scene. Me and my brother still do that to this yes. day. Yes, classic. I, 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 I want the knife. <laughs> it's probably one of the first rap representations in mainstream cinema, where as far as like somebody like he's you know he's pretending it's a record and a record scratch and yes, and then when he says make him ask again, I want the knife, please. Just a, <laughs> once again, these are silly scenes. That, that, and they all that's it's all eddie murphy it's why he's so talented you know it's it's this isn't something that somebody wrote i'm sure there's a scene where he has to ask for a knife but they did not sketch they did not script him doing any of that just like right. the the airport scenes i don't believe are were much anybody but him i think sweet brother noopsy is eddie murphy's you know and agreed and that's what's great now once you leave the airport the movie takes a completely different turn and becomes a serious movie. And so this is where they didn't cut the other scenes, I'm guessing, where he's, you know, he's he has to be pure. So even though he's already had sex with her, he can't have sex with her again. I, they don't even tell you why he has to be pure. I guess it's like a boxer before a fight. Uh, and then, you know, obviously they break into this mansion that they have to stay at for no fucking reason, except it's a good set piece, kind of. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, then, okay. And then we've got an underwear fight. 
We got an underwear fight, which ends with her taking the arrow as she tells him she didn't fuck him to obligate him. That's right. <laughs> and then, you know. Now, he... did did any of you catch that in the following scene where they're discussing, you know, what's going to happen over her over her dead body? That at one point she's actually smiling and then you can actually see her go from smiling to a straight face. No, no, I had to rewind it because I was like, was, was that corpse just smiling? I had to rewind it and I'm like, holy fuck. She was. That's funny. She was like suppressing a laugh or something. Yeah. That's really funny. But I think it would, it would be unimaginably hard to try to be serious in a movie around Eddie Murphy and his prime. Maybe that's what she was laughing. Oh, and we we also forgot to mention the uh, out of nowhere Pepsi ad. Oh, <laughs> with the dancing Pepsi can, which I mean, special effects wise, is actually pretty impressive for the time period. I almost feel like that was like a test for the people that like were doing the the demon later. Like, hey, can, can, let's see what can you, you can do. do. Yeah, and then they did that. But did nobody was nobody reminded of the burger scene with in Better Off Dead? Oh yeah. I like, was actually. That's one of the '80s things that I thought about. Like, why do you have these little weird animated scenes in the middle of the movie? Like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, there's so it many. Was... There's so many like '80s references in this. For example, it... like the more there was a random Morris Day reference. I'm like, oh, oh that's, yeah. that's timely. Yeah, it was when he gets like something with his clothes or something like that. Yes, yes. I didn't catch it. He said about his jacket. I love your Morris Day. The, the, the jacket. Some, it was something to do with the jacket. Like, oh yes, a very timely 1986 reference. Something That's about funny. Morris Day too. Like whenever Morris Day comes on the radio, my mom's like, "Ooh, Morris Day." Yeah, but your mom. <laughs> that makes so much sense for anyone that knows. That makes mom. so much sense for your mom. <laughs> and make, and, uh, both things make sense. But you, uh, <laughs> Rob, not knowing who Morris Day is, and your mom uh, liking Morris Day. Quick very, note: very... if anybody, if you ever need to know anything to get Greg's mom for her birthday, just a Commodore's poster would be fine. That'd be That's true. That would be. Commodores are playing at Epcot this year for the flower uh, for the flower thing, and she okay. might actually come up for that. I was gonna say, I was just gonna say, all right, I'll drive up with your mom. Yeah, I'll like it might be you. a thing, and it's entire. And I, but I won't be able to sit with her because she may be like throwing a bra on the stage, and I can't deal with that. <laughs> that is very possible. It's okay. Omar and I will sit next to her. We will, we film will it and send make it to sure you. she is <laughs> taken care of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ever ever <laughs> since that Earth, Wind, and Fire concert, I just don't anymore. You can't. You're gonna tell the commodore she'll take the night shift. Exactly. Oh shit! Damn. Damn. Wow. Anyway, I did have to look something else up after for this movie is when he goes to get the knife. There's like this intricate series of traps and posts and things he has to walk upon, kind of like an Indiana Jones style. There's no floor here. Yeah, let's say Indiana Jones style. Apparently, that has never ever ever happened in history. Some sort of like intricate obstacle course to get to any sort of treasure even in, like you think maybe the pyramids or anything like that nope they've never ever found that ever and it makes me sad it does because you know between raiders and goonies and in this movie it was seems to be all there all there was to get to get treasure you know sometimes uh, uh, there's uh, a top five question we need to do it some treasure point. Top uh, five yes. top five obstacle courses to get to treasure national treasure has one a really good yeah. one there was even one in uh in uh oh that the show uh Oh crap! It was a it was a recent streaming show that was uh oh my god it was based on that the horror writer uh stuff and the dude from that's playing Kang is was in it 
Oh, um, Lovecraft. There we go. Yeah, Lovecraft. The Lovecraft. Oh, oh, oh. Lovecraft I Country. Saw that. Lovecraft, Lovecraft yes. Country. Yes. Yeah, but is that good? Is that a good show? It was very good. Okay. But um, yeah, it never happened. Um, they apparently uh, most of these for event these devices were um, invented by a show called The Hero of Alexandria. Interesting. Um, yeah. And. Uh, but also, they say that, like, even if there were something like this, all of the ropes would have rotted away long ago. But that's, you know, just a it's just a weird thing that we just immediately think, oh, like, you know, there's got to be like arrows that shoot out of the wall of this place, right? Because there's like a, gold, a golden idol at the end of it. But sadly, no. Um. Okay, so moving on. Uh, should we go to the end here, and or does anyone else have anything they would like to touch upon? I think I, like I got all my points. So at the very end, uh, we get to a demon stabbing. So uh, what do you guys feel about demon, the, the end sequence? It's the least effective it's scene in the movie. Extremely dated. Totally dated. I was going to say, like, uh, the, and I know that it's not on purpose, obviously. They did their best, but it that was, technology just isn't. It just. I don't think it worked then either, though. Honestly, I, I just think Maybe. that well because I think they well I I think it did it just didn't work right in this movie because I think they used similar special effects in like Ghostbusters with that library ghost. That's true, and but it worked better in Ghostbusters. It just didn't work in this movie because I think it actually still works in Ghostbusters. Well, but, but, that's, but that's my point. I'm not there's translucency not a, in Ghostbusters though. So. There's not. I'm not making. This isn't a special effects as much as just how it was filmed. Like how Eddie Murphy gets hit. At one point, doesn't really work, and then even when he stabs, it's really he's really stiff, you know. Like he's just kind of like they're trying to give him this hero moment, and it, it sucks. And it, you know, it, I wish it was directed better. I wish that uh, it would have worked because I don't. It's not even. I don't care about the demon not looking as realistic as it would today. I, I'm my favorite movie is Jaws. I, I that shit doesn't matter to me if it works. But fair enough. You know, I just don't think it worked in this movie. I, I, you know, I mean, I remember. The first time watching this movie, you know, whatever decades ago, and even now, the the when he when he transforms, it's just it doesn't fit the tone of the movie. It no. just kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's like, wait, what just happened? Like this is like a comedy. I mean, I know there's the mystical thing of it. I get that, but it was just like too much. Mm-hmm. Of a change, it was. Well, too I mean, much the, of a... the scene where it actually happens was pointful. I mean, Eddie Murphy broke mm-hmm. in while he was communicating and tried to kill him, so he revealed his true form. But yeah, <clears throat> I don't know why it just seemed. It, it just seemed. I get that revealing. I get that. I totally understand it in terms of. I get it. I just thought it was like. I just thought it was like more than it. Sh- it, it. It took me out of the movie. Like, like, what the fuck is that? Like, yeah. did that just happen? My thoughts with these, whenever they do this with movies, is they'll have someone that's trying to do something to open up a gate to hell or reveal a creature or do something and all that. And the creature never, ever seems to live up to all of the hard work that they did and usually gets beaten by the hero right away. Yeah. And it's like, that's the one thing that takes me out of movies big time with that. And like, even looking back at old G.I. Joe cartoons or anything like that, it's like, the, I know what the military can do. So if it's like, oh yeah, we uh, realized there's a demon in the mountains of California. Okay. Send a special ops team. We'll take care of it because Eddie Murphy was able to like, even though they say like it's, you have to use the knife and all this stuff, but like 
Eddie Murphy's kind of kicking his ass. <laughs> right. Yeah. But not just that. Like if he, if he he's was, not trained, if he was more, instead of becoming that thing, if he just kind of like used magic or whatever, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. That tracks like with the tone of the movie. But as soon as he became that giant winged thing, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like what, what, what's happening? I don't know. That's just my literally watching that scene right now. That's a little Omar foible, I guess. <laughs> An Omar foible, foible, foible. So are we done talking about the movie real quick, or do we have anything else? As far as the actual movie, I think that's that's it for the. I have plenty of other thoughts, but as far as the movie, yeah, that's that's it. I can get into the history and what else was going on around this time. Yes, do the history. Okay, so I'm going to first do the music at the time. Yes. Uh, anyone care to guess what the number one? You probably saw it in the notes too, but what the number one song in America was at that time? Uh, here I go again by White Snake. No, that's that came out three years later. Uh, I can't remember, so I'm going to say no. Encyclopedia. So when this movie came out, I mean, Walk I know like what the number one song is because you wrote it here. But yeah. Walk, Walk like, like an, Egyptian. an Egyptian was number one. Oh, nice. Uh, number two, I'll do from ten backwards now. Um, Next time I fall by Peter Cetera with Amy Grant. I didn't realize Amy Grant was that popular back then. I thought she I became more popular that, in right? the early '90s. I mean, that's how I thought it too, but uh, I do remember that song. Yeah. Uh, Stand By Me, the Benny King version. Say La Vie by Robbie Neville. God, I remember oh, that song. Can, can we go back to Stand By Me? That's yeah. most likely due to Stand By Me, the movie coming Correct. out. You know, it's just crazy that a movie, a song that has been as old as Stand By Me got, you know, got to number three because of a movie that came out in 1986. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Say La Vie, Robbie Neville, which I had on, which my mom had on cassette. Of course. <laughs> Uh, Hip to be square, Huey Lewis in the news was seven. To be a lover by Billy Idol, number six. Shake you down, Gregory Abbott. Don't know who that is. I don't know that one. Notorious Duran Duran is number four. Everybody oh, have shake fun you tonight. Down. Really? You don't know yeah, Shake You Down? I don't know that song. I would listen to it tonight. Sing it for us. No, we can't, the, we can't afford for him to sing it to us. The, the oh, only reason it. I know it is because there was a guy that that um, did like a, a not before TikTok was a thing. He did like a a, a video short. Uh, Dave shakes you down. I'm sure I know this song. I just and he was like drinking name. from like a Tide container or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Notorious Duran Duran is number four. Everybody have fun tonight. Wang Chung is number three. And the way it is by Bruce Hornsby in the range is number two. Yeah, wow, Bruce. That was wow. 1986. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go to the box office real quick. I, thought that, I would have guessed that was like 89 or 90. Same here. Yeah. 86. Yeah. Talk to me about the box office. Box office. Uh, number what 10. What were we watching? Top Gun was still holding on. Um, that movie had been released on May 16th, and this movie came out in December, so that's kind of crazy. Are the so 80s top, great? Yeah, Top Gun was number 10. Color I just Money showed my was students, number 9. Uh, sorry, I just showed my students uh, we watched Top Gun Maverick in class today. Oh, nice. You're an awesome teacher. <laughs> uh, Ish. Because <laughs> we're watching movies. No. <laughs> yeah, it's the last week. So It is the last week. So, well, yeah, number 10 and number 9 were both Tom Cruise. Color Money was number 9. Uh, Little, Shop movies. Of, Little Shop of Horrors, number 8. Like Lady that. and the Tramp re-release was number seven, which that those re-releases from Disney, I didn't understand that. I, for a long time, I didn't realize they were re-releases. And I was like, what do you mean you saw this, you know, telling my mom? Like, what do you mean you saw this <laughs> right. 10 years ago? It's in the movie theater now. What are you yeah. talking about? An American Tale, number six. Three Amigos, number five. Yay. Crocodile Dundee, also holding on from as of September at number wow. four. That was a huge movie. That was yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heartbreak Ridge no, uh, came out December 5th originally, but it was number I three. I love that movie. It's a good movie. Golden Child did debut at number two, and number one, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Oh, also not, known as 
the one with the whales. By the, the whales, way, very boring. Extra trivia: Eddie Murphy could have been in that movie. Really? Yes. At, at one point, he was in running for a role because remember he was tied to Paramount, who was the Star Trek. They released the Star Trek movies. Eddie Murphy loved Star Trek, and they were, I think, they were going to try to put him in Star Trek Four. I don't know how much of the script he would have played anybody that was actually in that movie the way it was set up. But yes, he had, that, that was one of the roles that he either turned down or just didn't work out for, but it, it did almost happen. That's crazy. That's interesting that you said Paramount. Cause now I'm looking at this list. Top Gun, Paramount, um, Golden Child, Star Golden Trek, Ch- Crocodile Dundee, Paramount, Golden Child, Paramount and Star Trek four. Paramount. 40%. <laughs> wow. 40% of the top 10 out that week was all Paramount pictures. Mm, pretty impressive. And 20 of it was Disney. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Uh, so the other history things, the Voyager, the airplane with the long wings, pirated by Dick Rutan and Gianna Yeager. I guess bought, is that Chuck Yeager's daughter or something? Uh, takes cool. off from Edwards Air Force Base um, for the first nonstop, non-refueled flight around the world. Uh, this one I'm not going to have any possible chance of um, like being able to say anything correctly. But uh, we'll try anyway. Uh, because apparently it was a big deal. It was like the number one news story. Uh, the Kwasba Aligar Massacre. Over 400 Mujahars killed in revenge killings in Kwasba Colony after a raid on Pashtun Heroin Processing and Distribution Center in Sarab Goth. I have no idea what country this is. That um, sounds like uh, by the Afghanistan. Security, by security forces. Yeah, I guess uh, Afghanistan, maybe Pakistan. Um, so there's that. 400 uh, Mujahars. That was our Mujahars. I is that a Mujahideen thing? Like, because they Mujahir, were the ones who yeah, were, yeah. Um, they were the ones fighting against Russia, and we were supplying them with weapons. So I don't know how they would have been killed. Maybe it's like an ethnic tribe from over there. Yeah. Uh, Emma Bell was born. Emma Bell is an actress who's a redhead. She was in uh, she's been in a bunch of stuff, but um, I put this in there very specifically for Rob. Random yeah. actress. I, <laughs> I, I looked it up. Everything I have has her as a blonde. Well, that's unacceptable. Really? I know. I agree. Yeah, that's a shame. She was a, the picture I found. Oh, yeah, she is blonde. Okay. The picture I saw was uh, she had strawberry blonde hair, so I guess. Um, but she's, uh, she was in Walking Bird. Dead, and uh, she was in Final Destination 5. Um, okay. Says that. And uh, Mikhail Gorbachev uh, releases Andrei Sakharov and his and Andrei Sakharov's wife from an exile in Gorky. So um, it's never a good thing to be exiled in Gorky. No. Um, or anywhere in Russia, really. So, um, yeah. Don't ever be exiled in Gorky out there. That's your tip of the day. Tip of the day. If you're exiled, uh, try not, the Bahamas. Not in Siberia <laughs> or wherever Gorky is. I would imagine it's in Siberia. Yeah. Tip of the day to you. <laughs> Never accept a tip of the day from Rob. It will not be. It will not be what you it's want it to be. Not the tip you want. Or is it? it might be. be. <laughs> I think it is. Listen to my words. Make your own decisions. <laughs> Well, that was Golden Child. Uh, anyone else have anything to say? I have a couple of things. Uh, first, okay. I just want to, as far as well, thank you all for letting me do this. Number one, but the best. Uh, as far and you know, once again, back to why I chose this. I love Eddie Murphy, and I think that when we go about when we talk about the biggest movie stars of all time, he'll be on the list, but he probably won't be as high as people should place him. And one of the reasons I say that is he dominated from 1982 to 1980. I want to. Think about that. Over 30 years ago, a black man dominated box office. And I don't mean like 
you know, with, with, and without mostly special effects or anything crazy. Four eight hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, this, you know, The Golden Child, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Eddie Murphy Raw, Coming to America. All of those movies were hits. Eddie Murphy yeah. Raw is still the highest grossing comedy live action concert film that's been released for a stand-up comedy. I think it's not even just the color of skin. It's that he didn't change anything. He was himself. But uh, like, yeah, but like I, unapologetically I, black. He's magnetic. He's the the degree of difficulty to do that then, like Will Smith became huge a decade. Like for instance, everybody says Will Smith really the first time a black man got to save the world in Independence Day. Technically, Eddie Murphy did it in The Golden Child. That's so, true. You know, there's that aspect of it too. But it's just he was dominant. Like if you look at the highest grossing movies of the year, by that's by this point, the '80s, you're either a Best Picture <clears> winner or you're or you're a Star Wars movie or an Indiana Jones movie. Uh, Top Gun, you know, and there's Eddie Murphy with Beverly Hills Cop in 1984, or Beverly Hills Cop 2, the third biggest film of 87, or Coming to America, the third biggest film of 1988. I mean, he was dominant. And even like Harlem Nights, Another 48 Hours, movie. Boomerang, those movies did very well. They just didn't do as well as what came before. So he has a 10-year run where all his movies are making money. And I think that, uh, and obviously he's had humongous hits since then, and you give him the Shrek franchise on top of that. But I think he, at the time that he had it, this is a guy who could put out a party all the time and make that a huge single just because it's him doing it. And he was also selling out arenas for his comedy show. Yeah. Uh, it's nuts. He was a triple threat at a time when, you know, TV, music, movies. It's uh, We haven't really seen anything like that before. But and even I, in the 90s, though, he was he, when he started with things like um, Nutty Professor. And Dr. Doolittle. I mean, he, and yeah. Dr. Doolittle. Those were huge. Those and, were gigantic and, and he changed. He changed. He became, Nutty Professor, I sometimes people like, you know, it became like the joke. You'd put like Adam Sandler and funny people, and the joke would be that he was kind of like Eddie Murphy, his character, doing the fat person movies. And you see that <laughs> in other movies. But the actual Nutty Professor, the, the 1996 movie, is amazing. He's, uh, you could argue he could have won an Oscar for that movie. He's that good in it, at playing all the different characters. And that, <laughs> that yeah. was a... It was a huge oh, yeah. movie, and yeah. he was showing. But then, then I think what happened though is he, you know, he got to a point where he couldn't play a wisecracking young man, and he decided to play the father hijinked character. So you get Doctor Doolittle, you get Daddy Daycare, and then you get a lot of mixed up movies in between because, you know, when he did try to go more adult like in Life and Bowfinger, people didn't go to it to the same way. If, if you know, as Nutty Professor Two or Doctor Doolittle Two. You know, and I, I really miss seeing him on the big screen personally. Um, I like most of his movies now go straight to Netflix or Amazon yeah. because that's that's the nature of com- comedy now, uh, for the most part. And I mean, in some ways, it's awesome. I could see an Eddie Murphy movie whenever I want to, but I want to wait and see it on a big screen, and I, I want I want it to be in a theater with people laughing. Like I remember the movie experience, the movie going experiences I had: Nutty Professor, Coming to America, Golden Child. Uh, you name it. It's so much fun when you're with an audience watching somebody like Eddie Murphy. And I think, you know, I think in general, like I feel bad. Are my kids ever going to go see a a comedy in the theater like that? You know, Super Mario Brothers is the closest, I guess they'll get. I think it's interesting that people thought Eddie Murphy, like talked about Eddie Murphy, like he was gone forever, completely forgetting the fact that he was in four Shrek movies. It was just voiceover, but correct. But that was the other, I forgot it too. Well, and in between those Shrek movies, he had hit. I mean, we made fun of Norbert earlier, but the movie was a hit. It was uh, huge. You know, I mean, he had quite a few movies that were six. Dreamgirls, he got nominated for an Oscar, and it went over $100 million. So he had 
he had plenty of he just had a lot of bombs too. Dis- Pluto, distinguished you know, like, gentleman too, wasn't that him? That was yeah, him. I, that's a bad movie. That that, that but was I think it first... did okay. That was one of those that did really well because of the soundtrack, though. It didn't. Well, maybe the soundtrack did. The movie did not do well. It was a disappointment. Like it made like forty something. That was his lowest grossing movie at the time. Uh, really, not, it was a boomerang. Maybe boomerang's a soundtrack you're thinking of. And boomerang was a hit. That movie did. That, that movie is really impressive because that was an all black cast, black director, rated R, made over seventy like seventy million dollars. And the, yeah, the soundtrack was huge. The soundtrack well. killed. Yeah, yeah, that's a great soundtrack. Voice to Men, PM Don, a whole lot of other people. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that was the era of Black Sabbath, too. which was weird. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> Slayer, you know, rat. The usual. <laughs> rat, came, rat. rat came back and did body talk, but did a more soulful version. Of <laughs> <the reason. laughs> so I want to hear that. Actually. right. Like I know you're kidding, but like I think it's to really be a thing. I, I would pay to that for pay to hear that. And then one more thing. So since we didn't do a, a true top five, I just wanted to kind of I did have a little bit of a top five. Um, these are some examples of what Eddie Murphy did here, which is hey. I want to do something different. I never get to do this type of role. I'm just going to take it and see what happens. Stallone kind of did that with over the top. I think, you know, like oh, I'm going to play like a dad and I'm going to arm wrestle. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird movie, you know? Um, it's I actually, a weird even, subculture to make a movie about. And I actually also, even though Cobra seems like something right up Stallone's alley, I'm going to include that one too, because that was basically his like, Hey, I was supposed to be Beverly Hills cop. Let me show you what I wanted to do with that movie. Beverly Hills Cop is much better, but it's it's funny to see. Um, Arnold in The Last Action Hero, he, he goes completely out of his comfort zone, goes into a movie with a very weird tone that I think works great, but you know didn't hit audiences at the time. Um, I think Clint Eastwood, if you like, he, he did a movie with an orangutan. <laughs> I mean, right. that, I mean that came out of nowhere. I, I used Tom Cruise because he was another movie star that occasionally would take like he did Cocktail. Out of nowhere, hey, I'm going to do a movie about a guy who flips bottles at bars and you know bangs women. There's really no point to the movie, but it ended up becoming a huge hit just because it's Tom Cruise. Then you have examples that don't go so well. You got Bruce Willis and Hudson Hawk. That was that was him on a heat check. I just did. Rob's going to go to you and cough on you. He hates Hudson Hawk. No, he likes Hudson Hawk. I I don't dislike it, but it was a huge bomb. Oh, Um, it, it absolutely was. But it it's another one of those really underrated movies because it's one of those ones that you can't. You can't pay attention to other things in the background because all of the movie happens in the dialogue. It, and also, he's giving it everything he's got, which is something that a lot of these actors, I'm maybe not Clint Eastwood so much in the orangutan movie, Every Which Way But Loose or whatever, but these other ones, they're giving it. Like Bruce Willis, that's his labor of love. I bet you, I bet you that was one of his favorite movies to do. He, he wanted to incorporate the singing. He wanted to incorporate the humor. In, what, in a for Hudson Hawk? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, had that really cool thing with the music, where they yes. he timed out the things, which will always make that movie. Yeah. I, I, it it was a shame how how it didn't go over with audiences. Then you have like uh, Jim Carrey and the Cable Guy, uh, which is another example of high expectations because he was the hottest actor in Hollywood, and a movie that I think is actually one of his best performances. He's so good in that. And the movie's hysterical, but it's dark and it's different, and it's a really actually a brave choice out of all the i mean the other thing i would love to know um we talked about how he turned down star trek 4 you know that eddie murphy turned down who framed roger rabbit i would love to i don't think it'd be better to go who framed roger rabbit's a masterpiece and i don't think Wait, for, for the bob hoskins role yes i would just love to see what the hell that would have I, I mean i'm more curious to see what they would have done because he there's two forget the black and white aspect because that's not even the hardest aspect 
Bob, you know, Eddie, Eddie Valiant is a middle-aged drunk, you know, down on his luck, you know, kind of character, which Bob Hoskins just nailed. He nailed it. That was a fantastic one. And, and, and how is Eddie Murphy going to, Eddie Valiant, um, he can't be that character. So I would love to have seen what that would have entailed, but Eddie, and Eddie will tell you, he regrets not taking that role over anything. And if he had done that and coming to America in the same year, holy shit. I, his career would look different right now. My, uh, what would my that movie that look I like with Eddie Murphy? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be, I don't think, I think it could be funnier in some ways, but I don't think it would be as good as Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a perfect film. I'd argue exactly. you could make a strong argument. It was the best movie of 88. So, um, big words, but, big words. Uh, my two words. that we, we kind of discussed doing this as a list. I, I did have two in the back of my mind. Uh, one was, Brad Pitt, because he was like this heartthrob, river him through it and all that stuff. And he went and decided to go from that and be like, screw you, and do 13 monkeys. And then, seven, monkeys. And then seven, or yeah, sorry, 12 monkeys and then seven. Yep. That, that was, a, 95 was a huge year for him. That was the year that I think he got guys on his side a bit more. Because I can, yeah. as somebody like me, I used to I was, be annoyed because like every girl that he was like, oh, Brad Pitt, he's so dreamy. And then I'm like, and then he did 12 monkeys and it was like, uh-huh. Now he's on our side. <laughs> well, seven first because it came out yeah. first out of the two. I but guess. yes, yeah, it came out in September, and Twelve Monkeys came out closer to the holidays. That. I remember the dumbest shit. <laughs> and then the other one was uh, Robin Williams had uh, he had a, a a change in the type of comedy and stuff he did, but mixed in there was that movie where he was like the photo mat guy that was like one hour crazy. photo. Holy yeah. shit! And then he and did like, something weird. Yeah. Did he do Insomnia the same year? I think he it was might. Around Insomnia was like a, maybe not the same year, but it was around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is both very it, odd movies. But so. yeah, the thing about Robin Williams is he always kind of switched it up. He like you know he would do Good Morning Vietnam and then uh, Dead Poets Society. Well, you have to understand that yeah. there was a lot of cocaine. Well, yes, that's true. A lot. <laughs> that, that's a lot of cocaine. But still, it was pretty crazy. He would go from Hook to the or the Fisher King to Hook. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Mrs. True. Doubtfire to you know, or Toys to Mrs. Doubtfire. He was all over the place. Popeye uh, in the middle of all that. Yeah, and then like, hey, I'm gonna go do Father's Day, a really bad movie. And the same year, I'm gonna do Goodwill Hunting. Actually, Father's Day and Flubber. And then he says, well, I'll round out the year with Goodwill Hunting. And he was so great in Goodwill Goodwill Hunting. It was such a phenomenal role. Yeah. Yeah, he killed it's, it. It's fun seeing actors stretch. I, I really wish for Eddie Murphy that we, you know, I would have loved to have seen what Spike Lee could have done with him or hell with Tarantino. I always thought Tarantino would be perfect for Eddie Murphy. Uh, but interesting. I think he, I, I, if he could have gotten Eddie Murphy, a, a right, right, a role for him. I don't know what movie. It wouldn't be a movie that he's put out, but of all the, I just think that's a director that he would have worked well with if they had ever, you know, had something that sparked between them, because there's just something about Eddie Murphy that I think would fit into that universe. And I, you know, but these things never, never materialize, never really work with amazing directors like that. And that that's a shame. So I think that uh, takes us to the end here, because I think we are losing Rob. Yes. Uh, he might Baiting. actually be, we might have to weekend and Bernie's for Rob for the rest of the thing, like pretend that he's not actually just a, like slowly cooling down corpse. So um, first of all, Alec, thank you for everything. Thank you for preparing stuff. Thank you for making us watch the movie because I, I don't remember if I've seen this in the past or not, but I did. I've now seen it three times over the past four days. So we're good. Thank you for, for allowing me to do this episode and for watching the golden child. And I think anybody listening to this, watch the golden child. Great free on Cinemax. If you have regular uh, direct TV. 
and I got it on Amazon for I think four bucks to rent. Perfect. Murphy's going to get like a get like a residual check for seventy nine cents uh-huh. coming yep. from Florida and be like, okay, well, thanks. He's, he's going to go. Thanks, Omar. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, yeah. buddy. Anytime, my man. You're you're I, awesome. I think you should be thanking me. <laughs> That's right. Now let's not get like... carried away. <laughs> God damn it. So I will not make Rob to say goodbye to you because he's barely holding on. But uh, Good night, Rob. Feel better, Rob. Guys. Uh, Sleep tight, sweet prince. <laughs> thank you guys <laughs> for listening. Uh, we will be back with a regular episode next week, and uh, there may or may not be some surprise reviews. Ooh. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, guys. And remember, like I always say, a rose by any other name, well, it wouldn't be called a rose. <laughs> like I always say. <laughs> <laughs> nice.